He's always faithful. You can depend on God. He never fails. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Kings chapter 3. 2 Kings chapter 3. Well, last week we had a very unusual sermon title, Bad Boys, Bald Heads, and, uh, and what? Bears, Bears yeah. <laughs> well, some of you was listening. Tonight we're going to talk about uh, digging ditches. Doesn't sound very spiritual, does it? I can remember several years ago we had... Uh, just recently put on staff a pastor's assistant. He just graduated from college. And uh, so the first thing I did was have a sit-down talk, and I made this statement. I said, look, the first thing you need to realize is that the Lord's work is not always as glamorous and glorious as it appears, and a lot of it involves just hard work and boring stuff like running a mimograph machine. Now, that's what we had to use back then, mimograph machine and uh, stuff like that. And uh, he did. And that's the truth. You know, a lot of folks got the idea that, uh, that it's just all, you know, just all fun and games and not much work, but uh, that's not the way it's supposed to be, and that's not the way it really is. In this chapter, and for time's sake, I'm not going to read the entirety of the chapter, but in this chapter, we see a nation with a problem and a God with the answer. And you know, it's always been that way. God always has the, the solution for our problem if we'll turn to Him. We are never without need of God and what He supplies. I think I made a statement this morning, and I've made it many times before, that the most dangerous period in our life is a time of prosperity. When we get to the place that we think that we are self-sufficient, that we don't really need God. But I don't care how much you have, you are never self-sufficient. You always need God. One of the problems is that we expect God to supply our needs without any effort on our part. It's sort of like the old saying, you know, God feeds the sparrow, but he doesn't throw the worm in the nest. It takes effort on the part of the sparrow. God gives it wings to fly. God expects the sparrow to get out there and to look for the, uh, the worms and the bugs and things to sustain life. And God gives us the strength, and God expects us to put forth an effort. Now, there are occasions when God just gives us what we need. No effort, no request, or any such thing as that. And God just gives it to us. The Bible talks about God giving the, the rain and uh, causing the crops to grow on those that are just and unjust and the thankful and the unthankful alike. God just gives that stuff. And that's really amazing when you stop and think about it. But in many instances, God's provisions are conditioned upon our willingness to make an effort. And in this story, we see an example of that. Here we find a people in need of water, 
and they are instructed to dig ditches. Now, in the first eight verses, we find the provocation that took place at that time. Let's just read uh, just a section of it. Verse 1. Now, Jehoram, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel in Samaria the eighteenth year of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, and reigned twelve years. And he wrought evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and like his mother, for he put away the image of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he cleaved unto the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin, and departed not therefrom. Now, verse number 5, And it came to pass, when Ahab was dead, that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. Many years before, David had conquered the Moabites, and they became his servants. As a result of their sin, God allowed them to be in subjection to the Israelites and uh, in, in that sense contributed to the welfare of the Israelites. And all during that time period, they lived in subjection to Israel. But later, whenever the kingdom was divided, and you'll remember that after David was Solomon, and then the kingdom is divided into the north part and the southern part, and when that happens, they detect that there is a weakness and consequently a choice time for them to rebel, and they do. The Moabites were the descendants of Lot, and the Bible tells us that Lot is typical of a backslidden believer. Sometimes we wonder about how far people get away from the Lord. Well, they can get quite a way away from the Lord. And here's Lot, an example of that. Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom, and here, here, you know, he's looking out for himself, maybe looking out for his family and his welfare. He ends up there in Sodom, and consequently he loses his influence. And when the judgment of God comes upon the city, he's not even able to get his family out. He got his wife's body out, so to speak, in that the angels came and they were forced out of the city, but even her heart was still there. So Lot is typical of the person that knows the Lord who is out of the will of God. Now you mark it down, when a person is out of God's will, it's always going to have a negative effect upon others, especially upon their offsprings. And so here are the Moabites, a people living in rebellion against God, a people who have descended, as it were, from a backslidden believer. And now we find they are launching their attack against Israel. Now, when this happens, I want you to notice that Jehoram, the king of Israel, it tells us, goes to Jehoshaphat, who is the king of Judah. That's the southern tribe of Israel. And so he goes to him, and then they enlist the help of the king of Edom. And these three kings and their armies advance upon the Moabites, but a problem develops. Now, you would think that the real danger would come from the edge of the sword and the point of the spear from the enemy, right? I mean, you're going to war, and so you're anticipating the danger But the last thing you really think about, I suppose, is that we have any water to drink. 
You know, it just shows us how easy it is, it is for us to get in a, in a crucial situation. Something so simple as water, and that is exactly where they are. So they have advanced upon the army, and now they are assembled in a valley, and they don't have any water to drink. And I'll tell you, you can do without a lot of things, but you can't do without water. Now, that's the provocation against them. And you always can expect that. But let's look at the problem. The problem summed up is they don't have any water. So the part of it is evidently there was another drought. And that drought was a result of sin in their life. And we just read about that in the first three verses. Look in Jeremiah chapter 3 for just a moment. Jeremiah chapter number 3. Because what God tells us here was true back in that day, and in a sense it's true even today. Jeremiah 3, and notice verse number 3. Therefore the showers have been withholden, and there hath been no latter rain, and thou hast a whore's forehead, thou refusest to be ashamed. Now look over chapter 5, verse number 25 for just a minute. Chapter 5 and verse number 25. Your iniquities have turned away these things, and your sins have withholden good things from you. If you go back through history, you'll discover that when God's judgment begins upon a nation, one of the very first things that happens is a curse upon the economy of that nation. I'm not an economist. I'm not a historian. I, you know, I, I don't know everything for sure, but I do know that is a fact. I mean, here is a nation in all of their prosperity living in the lap of luxury, and uh, they turn their back on God, and consequently it's as though God just knocks the props out from under the economy. We in America need to understand what's going on in the world. Now, we say, well, it's all because of evil men that have devised their schemes and their plans and trying to bring us down. Listen to me. God allows all of this stuff to happen. And Benjamin Franklin was right when he talks about God governing in the affairs of man. These things don't just happen. God is at work trying to get our attention as a nation. Here is a people going to war without water. Danger. Danger. I don't think we understand how dangerous it is when we get out of God's will. There's not just a drought, but there's danger here. The enemy is just like vultures, just waiting for them, as it were, to fall over. We face enemies today that are, that are constantly, constantly just waiting for some sign of weakness on our part to attack. That's the way Satan does. Have you ever watched, ever watched the, the, the public broadcast in some of those stations where it's showing the, the lions and over in Africa and different places where they'll attack you know, a big herd of buffalo? What do they do? They pick out the weak and the wounded and the young. I mean, listen, they're smart enough, even though the pride of lions could bring down a full-grown, mature bull, they're smart enough to know that if we do that, the chances are that we're going to get injured. And injury in the jungle and in the desert, I mean, listen, that's the death knell. 
the last thing you want to do is get injured. And animals are smart enough to realize that. And what do they do? They look for weakness. They look for some sign of weakness, and that's where they launch their attack. Satan is smarter than those lions, by the way. And Satan is always looking for an opening in our life, some area of weakness. And that's why a lot of times we get to thinking, you know, well, boy, I've majored in this area and I've majored in that area. I've succeeded in all of these other areas. and I've really got a good grip on life. And a lot of times it's those little things in our life that we ignore and we think, you know, this could never be a serious problem. And you mark it down, that's exactly where the problem will come from. You study the lives of those men in the Bible that fell. I'm talking about the great men. I'm talking about God's people, people like Abraham and so forth. When you study the story, what you discover is they all fell in their so-called strong point. Because thinking themselves to be strong in those areas, they neglected those areas. What do you think of when you think of Abraham? You think, well, Abraham's a great man of faith. Where did he fail? He failed in that he didn't trust God. He didn't believe God. You think about Solomon. Somebody talks about Solomon. You know, here's the great Solomon. What's he known for? Wisdom. How dumb can you get to do what he did? Anybody take a whole bunch of wives like that couldn't have a lick of sense. I mean, that's not smart at all, you see. So where did he, where did he fail? He failed. Boy, some of you guys are going to have to answer when you get home. He failed in what he perceived to be his strong area. Now, I'm, I'm bringing all of this up, and maybe you're thinking, well, this has nothing to do with the story, and it does have something to do with it, folks, because a lot of times it's in those areas where we never anticipate a problem that the most serious problem arises from. That's why we're to be ever vigilant, always on our guard. There's danger on every hand. Now, then there's disappointment. Look in verse number 10 for just a minute. Here in verse number 10, notice what they say. And the king of Israel said, Alas, the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Now, to me, that is amazing. I mean, here they see that they're about to fall at the hand of the enemy, and the amazing thing is they're blaming God. Now, now look, they haven't inquired of the Lord. They're going to battle. They're without any water. And the enemy is just waiting for them to weaken to the point that they can capitalize on it and destroy them. And you would think about that time they'd have a prayer meeting. You'd think about that time they'd say, Lord, look, we're in a mess and we have no idea what to do. But up until now, they've made no inquiry as to what God would have them to do. They've made their own plan, and their own plan has got them in a dangerous situation, and they turn right around and they're blaming God. Said, well, God just brought us three kings together. God didn't have anything to do with it. God allowed them to do it, but they're the ones that made the plans. You see, a lot of times we get ourselves in trouble and we want to blame God. And God's not to blame Then we see that in this problem, there's not only drought and danger and disappointment, there's despair. They don't know what to do. They're totally confused. May I remind you folks that we do not have the answers to our problems? In other words, the answer is not in and of ourselves. 
That's why Jeremiah said, The way of man is not in himself that walketh. He said, It's not in man that, that, that he knows how to direct his steps and how he ought to live. We've got to get those instructions from God. So this is where we're at. This is the problem. And now our attention is shifted to the prophet. Verse 11, we begin. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not a prophet of the Lord? That we may inquire of the Lord by him? Good question. Where's the preacher? Isn't there someone here that's got an answer? Someone with a solution. And one of the king, uh, king of Israel's servants answered. Isn't it amazing that they had turned to the servant for the answer, you know, instead of the king's knowing? Let me tell you, the leaders are not always the smartest among the people. Amen. I'll just leave it there. And anyway, the servant said, Here is Elisha, the son of Saphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. We talked about that in an earlier message. Here is Elisha. Now listen, everything is hinging on the ministry of Elijah. Who is Elisha? Elijah is the man that used to be the servant to Elijah. And now here he is in the limelight, so to speak. I emphasized in an earlier message that if we expect God to use us in a greater way, we've got to make ourselves useful where we are. And if we're not willing to become servants, we're not qualified to be leaders. Verse 12, And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. How could he say that? How does he know that? Well, you go back and you read the story and you'll see that there was another occasion. Jehoshaphat should have learned about evil alliances and he didn't learn his lesson then. And although God had delivered him on another occasion, now notice, here is a man that knows, even though they have not yet consulted with him, they know that God is with Elisha. Wouldn't it be great if our friends, our relatives, our neighbors, our co-workers, our classmates, wouldn't it be great if they knew that God was with us? You know, they might say, look, I don't agree with that person, but I'll tell you one thing, God is with them. There's something different about them. And so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him, and Elisha said unto the king of Israel, Now, I want you to notice what he says. He doesn't pull any punches. He's not trying to be politically correct. This is in your face. Listen to what he says. What have I to do with thee? Get thee to the prophets of thy fathers and to the prophets of thy mother. And the king of Israel said unto him, Now, remember, the king of Israel is is Jehoram, and this is the northern kingdom, the liberal side of the nation. This is the one that he is addressing here as the leader. Notice, Nay, that is no, for the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. In other words, if I didn't have respect for him... I would not look toward thee, nor see thee. In other words, we wouldn't even be having this interview. 
I'm, I'm going to do this for His sake. Now, there's a lot of things I could say there I don't have time to go into. But I want to tell you, we need to thank God and we need to be grateful for the fact that many of us have been blessed not because we deserved it. We've been blessed for the sake of other people. And it was for their sake. Listen, young people, it might be that it was because that God did something in your life, God provided for you, and He did it for the sake of your parents. Not because of your rebellion, but it was because of your parents. For their sake, God did this and God did that. There's a lot to be said about that, verse 15. But now... Now, this gets really unusual, and I want you to just think about this. But now, the troops are thirsty. But now, the enemy is waiting. But now, three kings stand there wanting an answer. But now, bring me a a minstrel. And it came to pass when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. This is really unusual, don't you think? This is a prophet of God. This is a man that's in touch with the Lord. I mean, you've heard, you know, about fiddling while Rome burned. What does he say? He says, bring me a minstrel. Bring me a magician. Bring me somebody to, to, that plays well on an instrument. I, I, I need a little music. I don't know what he was listening to, what kind of music it was, but it was music. Why in the world at a time like this would he have any concern for music whatsoever? You know, I don't think we even begin to understand how important our attitude is, our frame of mind. And sometimes we can go through the motions and do all of the right things and not do it with a right spirit and God's not able to bless. This is a miracle working preacher. And at this point, he deems it absolutely necessary to listen to some music. So he gets the boom box and pops in the CD, and well, not really that way, but you get the picture. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if you, you, you know, call me up on the phone and you said, Brother Stone, i got a problem. I really need some advice. I need some counsel and some direction in my life. And, and what if I said to you, I'll tell you what, you, you, you call me back in an hour. I've got to listen to some music first. I just got a new CD, and I've got to hear it before I before I give you an answer. You'd think I'd lost my mind. But he calls for a minstrel. He wants him to come into play. Music. What in the world is this all about? You know, sometimes we get so caught up in the hurry-up, rush-rush world that we live in today that we're not able to really be in communication with God. And there needs to be that time of just Maybe stillness, maybe music, something to shift our focus from the things of the world over to the greatness of God. I remember shortly after that uh, I got saved, one of the things that we did, we lived further away from church than most people, 
In fact, I don't think we had any members that lived further away than we did, and yet we were always the very first ones there. I'm talking about at least, at least 30 minutes before the Sunday school assembly. On many occasions, we went into the darkened auditorium. The lights hadn't even been turned on yet. The pastor was in his study. Nobody had arrived yet, and we just went in there and just and just sat down and just, just sat there, maybe just thinking and praying. In that dimly lit auditorium, maybe just read the Bible. Just something to just unwind and settle down and get our mind on what was about to take place. And folks, we need that. I'm telling you, so many times we get up late and we jump in the car and we rush to church and we're all strung out and we run in here and kaboom, it's time for the message and the preacher gets up. And the last thing we want to do is listen to a sermon. And even if we try so many times, we've got all this stuff going on in our mind. That's why worship is so important, because worship shifts the focus from the problem to the problem solver. We start thinking about God and thinking about how good He is and how great He is, and, and that's crucial. And so as a result of that, the minstrel plays, and now notice verse 16, and he said, now here's the plan, thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. Now there are three things about this plan. Number one, the plan involved hard work. Dig ditches. They turned their swords into spades. Remember, they're going to war. They don't have farming implements with them. They've got swords, spears, ready to battle. And with those instruments of war, they began to dig ditches. Dig, listen, digging ditches is hard work any way you look at it, unless you've got one of them backhoes or a big old tractor like Brother John or something. Boy, isn't it great, this modern-day technology? He's got that big old tractor, and we cut all that brush out there, and that thing's got that big old claw on the front of it. He just scoops it up and boom like that and picks it up. You couldn't do that in the old days, could you, Brother John? You just had to get out there and get in the pile and drag it out one piece at a time and throw it over there in the dumpster or whatever. Thank God for that. Well, they didn't have any of that stuff back then, folks. I mean, we're talking about digging ditches. <laughs> I start to say, how many of you ever dug a ditch? I'm looking out there at the teenager. I, I, I guarantee you most of them never dug a ditch. And, uh, uh, and it's not any fun, by the way. You know, a lot of times we talk about back... You know, us older folks, we talk about the way it was back when we was kids. I talk about mowing the yard. So, if you can call it a yard, I mean, one of those old rotary mowers didn't. You know, you push that thing, and and then you had to take the sickle and cut the tall weeds down and stuff like that. And well, let me tell you something. It wasn't because we were any more spiritual or work-minded back then that we did that. We did that because our daddy had beat the living daylights out of us, and we didn't do it. So I don't want you young people to think that we were better than you. We just as lazy as you're lazy. <laughs> we tried to get out of it any way that we could. And I knew that whenever Daddy said this yard better be mowed, if it wasn't mowed that evening, I was going to get in trouble. Hard work. How many times do we want God to do something in our life, but we don't want to. We don't want to put out any effort. 
Now, God didn't have to do it this way, right? He's God. He could just send the rain. He could have just said, well, it's about time that you all inquired, about time that you asked for my help. Just find you, just find you a, a spot somewhere to, in shelter and, and listen to the thunder and watch the rain. I'm going to let her pour. God could have done that. Just here comes the rain. But He didn't do that. God said, go dig some ditches. How many times do we think, well, boy, I'll tell you, I wish the Sunday school attendance would increase. I wish my Sunday school class would grow. I wish this. I wish that. But we don't, we, we don't put any effort into it. We just ask God to make it happen. It doesn't work that way. Hard work. Secondly, it involves faith. Look at verse 17. For thus saith the Lord, you shall not see the wind, neither shall you see the rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water, that ye may drink both ye and your cattle and your beasts. Look, there's no evidence of rain. There's no thunder, no lightning, no wind, no evidence. He said, you dig the ditches and I'm going to fill the ditches. Human reasoning would have said this. We are tired and we are thirsty and hard work like digging ditches is just going to make us more thirsty. It's just going to produce a greater need. Now that's human reasoning. And it's as though God is saying, look, I don't care what you think about it. I know you think this is going to make the problem worse. Go dig the ditch. That's what God is saying here. And doing God's will is always for the better, not the worse. And we have to trust Him. There's so many times we want to figure it all out ahead of time. And God's not talking. He doesn't give us the answer. He just says, you be obedient. That's the third thing. You see, there's hard work and there's faith and there is obedience. And obedience is always essential to receiving God's blessings. God expects us to prepare for the blessing. God wants to bring the blessing. God's not reluctant to do this, folks. It's just a matter of them coming to Him for help. And whenever they come to Him for help, when He speaks, it's a matter of them listening. Now, I know it's difficult to make comparisons, but it's really strange that we Baptists for years... We keep saying, you know, door-to-door visitation just doesn't pay off anymore. It's just not working. It's just not, that's not the way to go. And i got to agree, it's tough. I'm, it really is. But isn't it amazing that while the Baptist and other major denominations and what have you, while their average attendance every year is going down, 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 the Jehovah Witnesses, they keep growing and growing and growing. And something strange about that. Now, now, don't you get the idea that I'm saying, well, they're going out door to door and God's blessing their effort. That's not what I'm saying. God has nothing to do with their success, believe me, because they're an absolute cult. Amen. God's not blessing them, but what I'm telling you is, is that from that standpoint, their hard work of going out eventually pays off. You knock on enough doors, you talk to enough people, eventually something's going to happen. 
You're going to find somebody gullible enough to believe your ideas regardless of what they are. And how many times is it that God has told us what to do and we look at it and we say, yeah, but it doesn't work as good as it used to work. People just don't respond to that anymore. And so we try to devise a better plan. You know, it's sort of like preaching. There are people who say all of the time, you know, well, preaching has had its day. What we need now is some more modern means of getting the truth to people because they're just not into preaching. You listen to me. God has ordained the foolishness of preaching to save the lost. And there's nothing that can take its place. And whenever God speaks about us reaching our world for Christ, He tells us not only what to do, how to do it. He says, go into the highways and the byways. In other words, get out there and rub elbows with the world. Come in contact with people. That's what He's telling us. And if we're not going to be obedient to Him, we can't expect Him to bless us. Now, notice the provision. Verse 18 And this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord, and he will deliver the Moabites also into your hand. And he shall smite every fenced city and every choice city, and shall fell every good tree and stop all the wells of water and mar every good piece of land with stones. And it came to pass in the morning when the meat offering was offered that, behold, there came water by the way of Edom, and the country was filled with water. Now, notice some things about this provision. First of all, the arrival was based upon earth being removed. You can't dig a ditch unless you're taking something out. They had to remove the earth. In other words, what they're doing is they are preparing for the blessings of God. They've got to remove something. God was not going to send the water. Now, remember... He's telling them, dig the ditch in the valley. Well, if it was going to rain, the valley naturally would catch the runoff water anyway. You don't need to dig a ditch in the valley. But God says, dig the ditch in the valley. That means they've got to remove the earth. And a lot of times there are things in our life, things of the world that have to be removed if we're going to receive the blessings of God. And we've got to be willing to obey God and to remove those things out of our life. It might be that, that you've just let your life get cluttered up with stuff. Not necessarily sinful things. Remember what Paul said to Timothy? And no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. In in other words, he's saying a soldier does not allow himself to get wrapped up and entangled in all of the affairs of life. Listen, if he is a soldier, there's a lot of things, innocent things, sinless things, that he can't get involved in. I'm certainly not against the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts and the Brownies and the Cubbies and the Bluebirds and all of those things. That's all well and fine. That's great, wonderful. But I'm telling you, as a child of God, as a servant of the Lord, don't you let your life get so cluttered up and so wrapped up in all of these different kinds of programs that you don't have time to serve God. 
There's a lot of folks say, well, you know, I, we, I know you need a Sunday school teacher, preacher, but I, I just don't have time. Of course you don't have time. Look at what you're doing. I mean, you're involved in this club and that social organization and everything under the sun. You don't have time. And we've got to remove the clutter out of our lives if we're going to be in a position where God can bless us. Secondly, notice the, the amount was based upon their faith. He doesn't give them any dimensions whatsoever. In other words, the longer and the deeper, the more God would provide. He doesn't say dig a ditch, you know, 20 foot long, 100 foot long, or 5 foot deep, or any such thing. Just dig ditches. And God was going to fill the ditches. Are you with me? The more they dug, the more they were going to receive. That's why we need to do all we can to do the best we can. Don't you lose the handle on that. Do all we can to do the best we can. Because if we're not giving God the very best that is possible, we're not giving Him enough. So go dig the ditches. Somebody could have gone out there and they said, you know, I've dug a ditch. Listen, I've got a ditch. It's long enough and it's deep enough. If that thing fills up, I'll have enough water for a month. I don't need to dig any more than that. It all depends on how much we want to receive. Now, the amazement, the amazement of this miracle is that they were filled from, evidently from the inside. There's no rain. There's no rain, and they're evidently filled up from the inside. I, you know, you can talk about it being groundwater, you know, or whatever, the, uh, and they're digging down to get to the water beneath. I, you know, you can rationalize it any way you want, but the bottom line is there wouldn't have been any water had God not made it possible and had they not followed the Lord. But then there's one other thing, and that is that the water was provided after the meat offering had been offered. In other words, the water was provided after worship. It was after they had worshipped the Lord. That's very clear from what it talks about, you know, here in these verses here. Verse 20, it came to pass in the morning when the meat offering was offered that, behold, then, or there, came water. I talked about that a little bit earlier. And the need for us having our focus on God and how that worship provides that need. Empty ditches are no better than no ditches. For them to just go out and dig the ditches, if God doesn't fill them, they haven't, they haven't gained a thing, folks. And so they go out and they dig the ditches in obedience to God and believing that God will do what He promised. And then they go back and they worship God. They get their focus on God, and God provides their need. If we are not serious about worshiping God, you mark it down, it's going to cost us in other ways. I don't care how splendid the preaching is. I don't care how, how large the offering is. I don't care how large the Sunday school attendance is. If we're not serious about worshiping the Lord, we're going to pay a dear price for it. 
A lot of folks think, well, the service doesn't really start until the preacher gets up to preach. No, it starts the very minute that, that we begin. I mean, the very second we begin. There shouldn't be nobody just sitting there looking, you know, like a calf looking at a new gate, just a blank stare and not singing. I mean, we ought to be involved in it, Amen. worshiping the Lord. Now, I'm through with this. You know that water is a type of the Word, right? And I think we can make an application to this, and I say that because according to Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 and 4, it tells us that God has given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 4, and the exceeding great and precious promises. Where do we find those? We find those in the Word. You see, God's Word is sufficient to meet our needs. God's Word is like the water, but for us to be blessed of the Lord... We need to dig some ditches. By that, I mean we need to make room for God's Word in our life. Oh, I wish I knew what to do to, to create just an insatiable appetite in people for the Word of God. I, 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 I don't know anything more thrilling, more exciting than studying God's Word. It's... I just understand how anybody could be not be excited about it. You say, well, preacher, how in the world could you possibly know that that we're not studying our Bibles? Well, you might not want me to answer that. <laughs> There's a lot of different ways, but let me tell you something. Let me tell you just one way. Just one way, whenever it's obvious that people are not really studying their Bible, and that is they don't ask any questions. When they don't ask any questions, you know that they either know it all, and I don't know anybody that does, they either know it all, or they're not studying the Bible. Because I'll tell you, the more you study the Bible, the more you realize how ignorant you are, and the more you realize that things you don't know. Nothing in this world is more important than God speaking to you through His Word. But you've got to make room for it, folks. You, 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 you've got to do it. Carve out a niche of time. Do whatever you've got to do. If you, you, if you have to miss a meal every day, whatever you've got to do, find time, quality time, to get along with God and His Word. And I'll guarantee you, if you do, if you do, He'll provide, as Peter said, everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. You can't beat a deal like that. And God's never lied. Let's stand together. Father, how we thank You tonight for Your Word and we look back on this ancient story. We think about the situation that Israel was in and we think about the challenge there of those people as the prophet stands before them and tells them to start digging ditches. How foolish that must have seemed to them. And yet they obeyed and the result of it was your blessings upon them. Now, Lord, tonight 
as we think about our relationship with you these many, many, many long years afterward. Impress upon our hearts that we are constantly in a state of crisis. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to admit it. But I mean, every moment of every day, we stand in need of your blessings just as sure as those people that were ready to perish from thirst. Lord, we just can't do without you. We need what you alone can provide. And so tonight, help us to be obedient that we might prepare our hearts to receive your word and keep our focus on your greatness and your goodness that we might experience your marvelous blessings. For we pray in Jesus' name as we 